Welcome to the Texas Hemp Show podcast. I'm Russell Dowden, publisher for the Texas Hemp Reporter magazine. This is podcast number 58 of the Texas Hemp Show. And uh, glad to be glad to be here doing uh, our podcast. And uh, check us out online at uh, texashempshow.texas. Well, you can go to texashempshow.com. You can also go to texashempreporter.com to find us. Like us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and wherever you got your social media at. We're, we're there following you. If you give us a follow, we'd appreciate it back. My co-hosts this week uh, are both my co-hosts are here. Uh, Coleman Hemphill from the Texas Hemp Industries Association. Hi, Coleman. Hello, sir. We're just talking about how beautiful a time of year it is. Everyone's into into harvest. We got baseball on TV. That's right. There's the Astros game on right now. They're winning four to nothing. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I, I'm watching it. Watching it on the side a little bit. Guys. <laughs> also joining us is uh, Jesse Williams from the Texas Cannabis Collective. Jesse uh, chiming in from the home studio today. How are you, Jesse? Uh, your mic was off there. Is, is that on our end? Uh, 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 no. Yeah, that was on my end. Sorry, Jesse, I had you off. I'm doing fine here at the Bat Cave. <laughs> <laughs> the Bat Cave. Sorry, I had you off there, Jesse. And then our guest coming chiming in from Lubbock here on podcast number 58 is uh, Professor Calvin Trossel there uh, with the Texas Ag Life Program. Calvin, how are you? Hi, Russell. Uh Glad to join you. Uh, yes, baseball's going on uh, up here in the high plains. So we're starting to feel like fall is is knocking on the door. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, had a chance with my wife to see some fall callers over in uh, in Cibola National Forest, uh, southeast of Albuquerque, late last week. That was a real treat to to see some of that. My wife is pretty much grew up in New Hampshire. And so she misses a lot of those uh, fall colors that probably none of us have ever really seen when it's just wall-to-wall color. But uh, happy to join here tonight. Thank you, Russell. Yeah, man. Great to have you on uh, as well. And then um, I'm jealous that you're that close to New Mexico. I absolutely love New Mexico. (laughs) I I just love that state. It's so beautiful. I was born in Colorado, raised in Texas. And so somehow I think I'm going to retire in New Mexico, I swear. Uh, but uh, very, very honored to have you here with us, Calvin. And uh, and yeah, it's it's fall season. It's uh, here in the as the, we're in the middle of October, October twentieth, twenty twenty one. Here as we record uh, podcast number fifty eight with you. And um, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's harvest season. And uh, what is uh, what have what has the good professor learned in, in with our hemp space in the hemp program and. And uh, with AgriLife there, give us a give us a little. Uh, uh, if you if you ask me, Russell, how much I've learned, I, my first thought was, well, how much time do you have? <laughs> uh, About an hour. Uh, just, just a little bit for for our listeners here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in 2019, so early in 2019, the the Texas Legislature, as our listeners know, uh, got in place the the legislation to authorize. Uh, hemp production in Texas under the 2018 Farm Bill, and then there was a, a, a process there, a rules development uh, by Texas Department of Agriculture. And, and TDA's responsibility is more related to the licensing of growers, samplers, transport permits, lot permits, the growing of hemp, and the transport of hemp. And then when you get into consumables and products and so forth, then, then that jurisdiction in most cases slides over to Department of State Health Services. So 
uh, it's been a learning process for me. I knew that in the fall of 2019, I was going to be uh, asked to take on some duties for Texas A&M AgriLife for our statewide program. And mm -hmm. uh, I think probably just some of my background is, is I still get laughter after almost 23 years here at Lubbock. Uh, to many people, mm -hmm. I am the non-cotton guy <laughs> and uh, is that work, right uh, since 1999 i've worked with sorghum and wheat and alfalfa guar sesame uh sunflower has been a, a pretty big part of my program uh, some of the other forages and so forth and so then came hemp and so i think in some ways what prepared me for hemp even though i had no familiarity with it prior to the beginning of the, the reading and the talking to people, the visits to Colorado in 2019, is that working with all these other different crops, I think you kind of learn, you have that mindset, you have that learner mindset uh, to start to take on something new. And uh, I especially, I, I find some satisfaction, Russell, in telling my younger colleagues that that uh, in the first two years or so, I felt my, my, my learning curve Mm -hmm. with hemp has really been more of a, a not a curve but a straight line and, and nearly straight up and mm -hmm. you know once you get to start growing things uh, then you learn so much more as the plant begins to teach us uh, how it grows how it develops when different things occur and so that's just an ongoing process that's great you know calvin i was really excited to to have you on today because you really have had your finger on the pulse of the progress of, of genetics in the state. Could you kind of talk to us about what are some of the primary focuses of Texas A&M AgriLife and uh, where y'all are focusing y'all's research and, and what you've been finding out in 2020 versus uh, in, in 2021 um, as the, the program has progressed? Well, sure, Coleman. Well, I think, I think in some ways, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, when, when Texas A&M AgriLife, and for our listeners, you're most familiar with Texas A&M University in College Station, but actually above that is the the, the Texas A&M University system. Mm -hmm. And so we have other campuses like Tarleton State or West Texas A&M or Texas A&M Corpus Christi, but some of the other branches are uh, the ext AgriLife Extension, AgriLife Research. And so we're really two sister groups that, that work uh, really seamlessly. And so, uh, in other words, the, the AgriLife research is in what many states would call the experiment station, bag experiment station. The extension, AgriLife extension is what a lot of people would have known as uh, the ag extension service. And so the, the charge for people in extension like myself is, is bringing the university to the people, bringing the knowledge the research of the university to to the public uh, in a way that they can use that information. And so uh, AgriLife's task here is it was a challenge in that anyone who was growing in Texas in 2020, unless they had grown in another state, uh, we were starting our first experience with them right along with first time growers in Texas. And so there's a challenge within the, within the total Texas A&M system in the state. I only know of one individual that had any experience with hemp uh, in some form, cannabis in some form uh, prior to 2020. So there's the learning curve. <laughs> and uh, so it's really a, a, it was a partnership of learning with a lot of our individuals. And so, uh, I think our, our initial interest is this, is you break 
industrial hemp down or hemp to cannabinoids, CBD, maybe CBG, or grain or fiber, then there were some decisions made in terms of AgriLife of, of which of those we felt was maybe a more immediate priority, which might be more of a long-term priority, which might be maybe not a priority at this time. And so those initial assessments uh, kind of shaped and started our program in 2020. And, and largely, I think the emphasis has mostly remained the same. Uh, it has been a challenge for me to, to think about, to wonder, what what is the direction of the cannabinoid market especially with relation to cbd because the the prices fell in 2019 so that anyone who is a first-time grower in 2020 here in texas was looking at a completely different economic right. landscape relative to what a lot of folks in other states have have had or enjoyed uh at least into 2019. yeah that's true uh calvin we had there was an oversaturation uh, in, across the United States, and, and, and many many states overproduced. It drove the prices down. So by the time Texans got um, ready to grow, the this the 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 flower market of it, I guess, aspect of it was 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 not where it once was. And so, but I, I think those prices are actually going up, aren't they? You know, I, I think you, you have seen a considerable drop in production between 2019 and, and 2020. And and I think there was just a lot of enthusiasm right after the 2018 Farm Bill, a lot of people getting into this. And I think a lot of people learned really quickly that hemp really is a specialty crop. It needs the same level of care to, to really maintain its value in the market. And it's, you know, 100 acres of vegetables is a lot of vegetables. It's a lot of labor, a lot of, of inputs going into that. But, um, you know, Dr. Trussell, um, could you kind of expand upon, you know, some of the other services that a provides? I know, you know, in addition to my work with the Texas Hemp Industries Association, um, I also work with Ionization Labs that has is collaborating and is very committed to, to research, to, to understand where the the THC levels are on the plants, making sure making sure that those are below 0.3. Um, y'all also have a plant diagnostics lab, soil and water lab. Could you kind of you know for for a lot of our listeners and a lot of the new farmers out there, kind of walk them through the baseline data that that you can provide and the university can provide to them and what they need to be looking at if if they're starting their process into to growing hemp. Well, Coleman, good questions. Uh, as our listeners know, the federal standard uh, for the time being is 0.3% uh, THC is, is the limit. Now, uh, any lab ionization labs, for example, that you mentioned will have a small amount of error, uh, plus or minus in the testing. And so uh, I, I think the ionization labs, if I recall, I believe their error, like for example, if you have a certain number of units of THC uh, then the, the, the analytical error, not in the sample preparation, not in how the sample was collected in the field, the analytical error from the chemical instrumentation maybe runs around 6 or 7%. So, you know, something that tests 0.32 is probably okay, but that's, that's a pretty skinny window there. There's some other states that have some different guidelines and how they handle that. Uh, there's a few states it's possible that they may say, look, we don't want anything to be punitive on growers. 
And uh, I think that's a, a healthy approach to take. I feel that Texas Department of Agriculture has had a same similar approach. And so there may be a few states where the, their tolerance level on the point, 0 0.3 is, is a little bit greater than what we have here in Texas. Uh, I'm not completely sure on that. I think Colorado's number is certainly a little bit higher, but it's still under 0.4. Well, but, I, uh, so Coleman, you mentioned ionization labs. Uh, and one of the things that ionization labs has partnered with Texas A&M, the, the university system has a long-standing soil, water, and forage testing lab. And so uh, actually I'll go to soil first. Uh, if a farmer, a grower has uh, uh, water, their irrigation water that they would like to have tested, see what kind of salts are in there, see if there's an, an issue with possibly, uh, you know, salt effects on hemp in terms of growth or whether there's something in there that, that could be a contaminant. Uh, those water samples could be tested in College Station at our lab. Uh, likewise, more commonly, what people inquire about is, well, I, I'm going to grow hemp. Uh, I have a potting mix, or more likely I'm in a field, uh, and we want to test the soil just to, what is the pH? You know, that's your acid alkaline level. Uh, there's a range within most crops have a, a desirable range of pH. That's a test that can be run. What about nitrogen? Do I have nitrogen in my soil? Uh, if I'm growing a hemp crop, how do I need to fertilize that? And a lot of that information, uh, not only in Texas, but in other states, even like Colorado and Kentucky, hasn't been very well developed yet. But my colleague, Dr. Tony Proven, who coordinates the soil tests, the soil, water, and forage lab at College Station, they have data in their database. So if you as a grower send a soil sample to College Station and say, what would be some, some recommendations? What is the status of the nutrients in my soil? And if I'm going to grow hemp, and of course it could be wheat or cotton or alfalfa or grain sorghum, uh, then what, you know, based on kind of what my goal is, what I want to produce, then uh, Dr. Proven's lab is able to make some recommendations. I would say, Coleman, they're pretty general right now. I think in time they'll be able to get more refined, but I think right now with hemp being so new, we just want to at least get people in the ballpark uh, of what some sufficient nutrient status would be, uh, which you may need to consider adding if you have a soil that tests, for example, low in nitrogen. And so, that's that's the soil that's the water uh, and also i had a request this would have been i believe a week before last i had an individual that was interested in the nutrient content uh the mineral nutrient content for hemp growth in the plant tissue itself where can i get that sample tested uh, also the soil water and forage lab can run those types of tests and there are other labs that can do this too uh, I think as Dr. Proven gets more samples in over the next couple of years, then we'll, we'll maybe begin to get uh, an understanding, Coleman, of, of what that range of typical levels are for, say, nitrogen in a hemp plant. And then that will begin to perhaps influence some of those recommendations. So that's soil, water, that's plant tissue, and that's plant tissue apart from anything related to cannabinoids like CBD or THC. And then, yes, uh, there is a partnership with Texas A&M uh, with Ionization Labs, and we have three labs in Texas. Uh, the one that's the most active so far is actually here at Lubbock. There's one at Uvalde, where we have another of our research and extension centers. 
and then also the main lab in College Station. And so <clears throat> individuals can submit samples to these labs for unofficial testing. These are not DEA certified labs yet. Uh, uh, Texas Department of Ag has a list of labs on their hemp webpage where you can send the, the official samples that you have to uh, have submitted. We use the same technology as ionization labs does in Austin uh, and other labs may be using, uh, but our, our goal right now was was to help maybe provide a service where individuals could test their THC on an ongoing basis. Excellent. Well, uh, Dr. Trossel, it's it's so important that people are setting baselines, and we really appreciate you know better understanding where people can get these tests, understand their water, their soil, and then also you know as we evolve and get more data, be able to dial in the the THC levels of your different plants, have a better understanding of your genetics, and and I know you know speaking for ionization labs, we couldn't be more happy with our partnership with at AM. I believe we're going to go to a, a commercial break real quick. Um, Dr. Trussell and Jesse, hang on, and we'll get you on the other side. It's the Texas Central. We'll be right back, guys. In the arms of a madman, knowing well that your best days are gone. Picking up hookers. Medical marijuana is legal in Texas. Do you suffer from cancer, PTSD, IBS, peripheral neuropathy, autism, epilepsy, seizure disorders, osteoarthritis, or fibromyalgia. Well, medical marijuana is now legal in Texas as of September of 2021. Visit TexasMedicalMarijuanaDoctors.com. Call 713-659-HEMP. That's 713-659-HEMP. And tell them you heard from the Texas Hemp Show. Visit our friends online at TexasMedicalMarijuanaDoctors.com. The Texas Hemp Reporter is available free at all HEBs and Whole Foods in Austin, Texas. Pick up a copy today. Cannabis is slowly becoming legal in Texas, so be sure to listen to the Texas Hemp Show Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. on KLBJ 590 a.m. or visit online at TexasHempReporter.com. Mail to over 2,000 licensed hemp producers in Texas. News, technology, trends, finance, culture, health, all things hemp in the Lone Star State. 60,000 copies made available each year. Available at over 500 CBD and smoke shops in Texas. That's the Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine and the Texas Hemp Show Podcast. Download wherever podcasts are available or listen Sundays at 6 a.m. On News Radio 590 KLBJ. Hey, this is Cheech Marine, and you're listening to the Texas Hemp Show. Why take a chance with your hemp grow? Join Hemp Plan and avoid the risk. TPS Labs' exclusive hemp monitoring program. Hemp Plan members get one-on-one -on -one consulting from knowledgeable consultants who are available when you need them most. If you want to take the guesswork out of growing hemp and focus on what matters most, call TPS Lab today and ask for your free consultation. Take the next step to a successful harvest. Visit tpslab.com or call today at 956-383-0739. 
You're listening to the Texas Hip Show, sponsored by The Loot. The Loot, helping vape and smoke shops deliver the most innovative products to customers. Constantly creating new products that people love. E-liquid, salts, CBD topicals, tincture flour, edibles, and Delta 8. Your customers will be shouting, give me The Loot. The Loot, creating high-margin products for vape and smoke shops. Contact us today at thelootjuice.com for all your vape, CBD, and Delta 8 needs. Mention Texas Hemp Reporter for 10% off. Give me The Loot. Hemp Sack Bags, preservation, protection, peace of mind. Hemp Sack Bags are designed for the curing, storing, and transporting of hemp and other agricultural products. Hemp Sack Bags are primarily for farmers, growers, and anyone else looking for the proper preservation and storage solution of their hemp or similar agricultural product. Visit the online store at hempsack.com or call 1-833-GOT-BAGS. Made in the USA and manufactured from FDA-approved food-grade materials, hemp sack bags do not leach into your flour. Harvest season is here. Texas Hemp Show listeners, use code THR2021 and get 10% off your whole order. That's hempsack.com. You're listening to The Texas Hemp Show, produced by your friends at The Texas Hemp Reporter. 60,000 copies published free every year. The Texas Hemp Reporter is mailed to over 2,000 licensed hemp producers in Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas. News, technology, trends, finance, culture, health, all things hemp in the Lone Star State. The Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine. Hey, this is Tommy Chong, and you're listening to the Texas Hemp Show. Now, back to the show with your host, Russell Dowden. All right, welcome back to the Texas Hemp Show. It's Russell Dowden with the Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine and... uh, host of the Texas Hemp Show. Joining us on the program this week is the non-cotton guy at the Texas Department of uh, Texas Ag Life, uh, Dr. Calvin Trussell, uh, joining us here on the Texas Hemp Show. Uh, welcome back to the program. Also co-host joining us on the program is Jesse Williams of the Texas Cannabis Collective and Coleman Hemphill of the Texas Hemp Industries Association. Thank you, everybody, for the quick break there for some sponsors and then uh, uh, jumping right back in. Coleman, you got to see Dr. Trossel at that Lubbock event. Uh, how did that go? And um, Yeah, that was a great event um, sponsored by the Texas Hemp Growers Association, Tillery Sims okay, and, yeah. mm-hmm. and Kyle Bingham there. It was there at, at Bingham Vineyards and Farms, so you had the the uh, the grapes there right next to the hemp and Dr. Trossel, you know that was a really interesting field day where we were looking at an agronomic model that was focused on grain fiber and CBD and you know something I'd be really interested to ask you is is where you see the direction of of the hemp industry going in Texas is it going to be more oriented around um, grain and fiber, um, you know, pending legislation that allows this for animal feed and, and more expansion around processing of fiber. And, and do you see CBD as really being another ancillary revenue source from much higher production that's coming from grain and fiber as the, the primary uh, crops that people are going after? Well, Coleman, these are good questions, and there's a lot of people thinking about that. Uh, It was interesting to me that the Texas Hemp Growers Association field day there near Brownfield that 
the 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 lion's share of the conversation actually was about hemp for fiber and uh, the group that started here in the Lubbock area in 2020 based at Slayton just southeast of Lubbock uh, their initial focus was CBD but with a different production model and that is the the use of straight run seed so no feminized seed no transplants uh, farmers using their <clears throat> conventional equipment like they use on other crops and uh, but I think they realized that uh, recognized that the, the variety they were using had some potential for herd uh, that's your lower your lower quality but nonetheless important material and so it, it will be interesting to see uh, Kyle and others that are growing with that group in Slayton feel that it's possible that their shift may be towards fiber and as you mentioned the possibility that the CBD could come as a buy in the byproduct or in, I don't want to say the waste stream, but uh, the processing is fiber in the, in the process of, of getting the fiber prepared for processing. They strip off the leaves, the floral structures, and that material could go into CBD extraction. It would potentially have a, a relatively low expense uh, and, and that would be a challenge for probably traditional CBD growers. Uh, what I've seen so far and continue to think that is folks that are looking more at CBD or cannabinoids in a pure play, there's going to have to be one, at least one or maybe a combination of four things that's going to enable them to, to find uh, an avenue towards profitability. Uh, a specialized market, an organic market, um, the ability to uh, be vertically integrated. That is, you grow, you maybe have someone extract, you take your product back, uh, you develop uh, uh, your own product line and, and you you market that. Uh, and then I think some folks may have an advantage in terms of a greenhouse indoor grow type setting where they have controlled conditions. But uh, Coleman, it's, it's interesting, you know, with the national uh, decrease in acres for CBD production. And we don't know how far that will fall, how further it will fall, what about demand. Uh, there are some industry folks that project an even lower acreage than what we have nationally in the U.S. this year still would satisfy the CBD demand. And so uh, any of our listeners here, uh, if you're still thinking about uh, CBD hemp, the, the traditional model in which you've observed it being grown in other states uh, in, in 2019 and earlier, it's going to be a tough one to, to follow uh, if it's for CBD only. Uh, the, the fiber and grain markets are going to be something that's going to require probably, uh, you know, I've thought about this is that maybe the minimum number of acres someone have before they would think about being a fiber grower is maybe a minimum of 30 acres and possibly far more. And so, but, but likewise, uh, the, the fiber market is not really established yet. We have a little bit of fiber processing now in Texas. There's others that have talked about being in the fiber processing market, but it hasn't happened yet. And uh, when it will happen, how quickly, what capacity, those are questions that remain to be seen. But uh, it, it seems like maybe fiber might be a little bit, uh, is a larger part of the Texas hemp landscape than it would have been when we entered the hemp cropping in 2020. Mr. Trossel, this is Jesse Williams with the Texas Cannabis Collective. 
Uh, speaking of CBD, hemp, and fiber, I wanted to ask you what are some common issues you've learned so far from the growers in the hemp space in Texas on this? Well, this is, uh, I'm going to back up to a question Russell asked earlier about what kinds of things is AgriLife working on. And, and you know, the key in a lot of crops is the varieties that a farmer or a grower plants, the genetics. And uh, you know, as well as I do, that it looks like a, a head spinner to look at Texas Department's, uh, Texas Department of Ag's list of approved hemp varieties for Texas. And, and the last I knew it was in the range of about 420. What is a person to think when you look at that and says, oh my goodness, where did all these come from? And uh, the word cherry is in that list on at least 29 different varieties. And probably there's another 29 that probably actually are <laughs> cherry wine or, or a, an, uh, a derivative of cherry wine. And so one of my initial interests was, well, we need to start some variety trials. And part of that, uh, Jesse, was to find out first, what are some varieties that are adapted to Texas? We know that we could be facing hotter conditions here compared to a higher elevation location in Colorado or maybe just simply a Pacific Northwestern growing environment like you would have in Oregon, for example. And so <clears throat> that was probably our biggest focus in 2020. But uh, the companies that were interested in having AgriLife test their varieties and so forth, they pretty much fell by the wayside. There just was not the interest in 2021. And I think that was a reflection of, of the downturn in the pricing that was now catching up with acres and so forth. The other component uh, of 2020 that I first I got my first glimpse of was uh, the the fiber varieties. And there was discussion with various entities about fiber production in Texas, and so we started. We had a six variety fiber trial at Lubbock. It was small. That's where we started. This year we're at 15. Uh, a few of those varieties uh, are being evaluated more for not just simply fiber, but the potential for dual purpose, whether it be CBD and fiber or possibly fiber and grain. I'm not sure that CBD and grain will go together very well because to get to mature grain, you would have to let that crop go uh, substantially longer in the field. And I think that would potentially increase the risk that you could have an issue with THC. But the, the biggest issue that came out of, of 2020 was the recognition of that, especially for fiber, and I would also say for grain, but not for your CBD varieties. The CBD varieties in other states that are popular that are grown there appear for the most part to grow relatively well in Texas. I didn't see any major issues right. there. The fiber in the grain markets uh, they're relying on varieties that have to be southerly adapted. And this is one of the things that this is the most photo period sensitive crop that I've ever worked with. And what that means is <clears throat> there's different things that control when different types of crops enter reproductive growth. It could be heat, it could be daylight, the length of daylight, it could be the length of the dark period or night. And that is what uh, cannabis responds to is is in general as the length of the dark period or the length of your night increases at some point it will trigger reproductive growth 
And yes. what we saw is varieties from Canada. We, we had a meeting in January of 2020 and some folks from Canada were here and Jesse, they were like, oh, Anka should be a good variety. CFX1, uh, X59, uh, Altair, these should, they're, they're adapted in Southern Canada. They grow well in the Northern Plains. They should do fine here in Texas. Southern Canada, yes. Yes, <laughs> and, and what we saw is some of those plants, uh, we had a variety from Poland uh, it was, there were some people in Texas tried it. Uh, the long name is Biela Brzezki, BZ for wow. short, or B-Lab. And, and we had six and seven inch tall plants that were in reproductive growth when we were hoping that they're six or seven feet tall before oh that would happen. Wow. And uh, so that, that was the realization. And so, you know, kind of learning the lesson there. I, I feel I feel a little bit bad that maybe I should have recognized this. I or someone, some of my colleagues should have recognized that this was a possible issue. But uh, this year we, we expanded the number of varieties. And, and right now we're, we're somewhat uncertain about just about any fiber or grain variety that comes from Europe as to whether it's well adapted for the southerly latitudes we'd have here in Texas. There's some varieties in Italy that we will certainly look at a second year, but there's a number of others that are you know oriented in Ukraine or France or Poland or Canada. Uh, it just looks like there's no need for us to invest any more time in. They simply do not fit the photo period here. Even on our longest days of the year, late June, which is our shortest dark period, those plants, some of those varieties from Canada and, and Central and Northern Europe were again nearly immediately going into flowering. And so that would have been a train wreck. We're glad we're finding this out before somebody went and planted 300 acres. Uh, Dr. Trussell, you write a lot about the uh, the fiber and more more than the CBD uh, cannabinoids. Uh, why is that? Well, I I think part of that is maybe to some extent re reflects my my level of familiarity, my comfort level. Uh, I think on the CBD side. Uh, I think a lot of the individuals, uh, especially if they've brought some experience to Texas from other states, they already have a pretty good feel about how they need to approach the, the cannabinoid production. I, I certainly still am interested in helping contribute to what might be uh, adapted varieties here, how they perform. Uh, I'm interested, I have a small trial here at Lubbock where I'm looking at the THC levels over time and the CBD, of course. Uh, for maybe uh, some some pointers on how to help an individual better understand when they need to sample to track that so that they minimize the risk that their crop would go hot. Uh, how many growers have any of us heard say, well, I'm going to grow for high percent CBD. And there's a part of me says, well, maybe not, because if you do, you may go to high THC. And here's a number from our San Angelo variety trial last year that we found very useful. We had six varieties there and within a range of about plus or minus 1.5, they the ratio between CBD and THC was 26.5. So 0.3% or 0.3 times 26.5 would give us a number that it's about eight. So that, would, that was just kind of an index number that suggests that maybe in the range of about 8%, and those were six varieties, and there was not a big difference there, that at least under the San Angelo irrigated conditions in 2020, that somewhere around 8% might be a, 
uh, an upper limit to safely producing hemp without the THC risk. There's other varieties that are looking to, to get that to ratio higher. And then we'll see if it holds up in this environment. And the unfortunate thing is it's ex the testing is expensive to follow those individual varieties to see what's happening there over time. But uh, the, the outdoor production, the, especially in the greenhouse, uh, I have hydroponic experience, but I think a lot of the folks in the indoor situation maybe have got other information sources. And so uh, where AgriLife as a whole can maybe contribute to greenhouse growers is we have uh, an extension plant pathologist in College Station, Dr. Tom Isakeet's taken a strong interest in him. Uh, he's answered questions about uh, greenhouse environment and disease potential and, and some of the things that have shown up in greenhouses. Uh, we have another individual, Dr. Holly Davis. She's in the lower Rio Grande Valley, but she's been tracking insect issues. And she has answered some, some questions about thrips and some other things that have showed up in greenhouse settings. And so th those are kind of the health factors about that indoor setting when some of those other problems arise that are not necessarily related to the variety or the nutrition, uh, the management of that crop in the greenhouse. Yeah, so Dr. Trossel, you know, two major issues that you brought up and you alluded to it earlier is really a need to clarify the, the definition of hemp. Um, you know, hemp was defined to, to have 0.3% or less delta-9, and the USDA rules brought in a new term for total THC. Um, yes. You know, I, I know many of us within the industry, um, speaking for the National Hemp Association and, and Standing Committee of Organizations, um, are really pressing for clarification around what is total THC and what's an acceptable limit. Um, and I know right. a lot of people really kind of coalesced around the 1% total THC, uh -huh. which, and I think there needs to be a really strong education around this, that there's a difference between Delta 9 THC and total THC. And that, and the, and that, that USDA rule was, was more restrictive and, yes. and that you can maintain the statute at 0.3% Delta 9, but you have to, to really allow for a reasonable and commercially viable amount of, of THC and that, that hinders the, the genetics that you're talking about. Well, I think the, for some of our listeners here, uh, if on any report that you have from a lab that has ran a THC sample, CBD and other cannabinoids as well, if you look at the bottom, mm -hmm there should be a formula that will explain how that total THC is calculated. And the, the USDA guidelines state a specific method of how that analysis will occur. And as I understand it, you know, there's a long chemistry word here, I'll go ahead and say it, decarboxylation. Okay, everybody repeat after me, one, two, three, <laughs> decarboxylation. But what that says is there, there's forms of in the plant that may not be readily available, but it is THC in a different form, but it would convert to your narcotic type uh, Delta 9 THC. And I may not have explained that completely correctly, but that, that's yeah. where some of that comes in. Yeah, pre pretty close. I, it, it, they didn't know what to do with THCA. You know, I've heard okay. different testimony from, yeah. from different seed breeders in Oregon saying that, you know, based upon a strict adherence to the 0.3 Delta 9, you could have plants that have 15... 20% THCA that when decarboxylated, you multiply that times 0.877 is, is yes. gives you that that THC or total THC amount. That being said, you know, and I've I've worked with a number of labs that have really accumulated data from many farms. And if you look at just Delta 9, a very, very small 
percentage of the farms are, are non-compliant. If you factor in total THC at a commercial level of cannabinoids efficient for processors, a vast majority of them go above 0.3 total, but are are mm-hmm. far below that 1% THC. So right. that's that's a clarification we really well, need to to figure out, and and um, you know, I, hopefully I that can help progress a My understanding, Coleman, is one of the trade-offs that might have been made on 0.3 was to, at the federal level, permit a 30-day sampling window prior to harvest, and that is that is a big help to the industry. Texas started with a 15-day uh, sampling window and then there was some question there about whether or not that would be a 20-day window with some possible uh, uh, changeover based on the, the sunset of in, the existing I don't fully understand this you may know Coleman whether that would be a 20-day or a 30-day in Texas they, but they did move that to a 30-day pre-harvest okay, window and, and I know on this program you know we really encourage people to to follow their plants to, to test throughout the season but but you know truly um, test early. Um, the earlier you test, the more likely you are to, to be compliant. Um, and I think, I think Coleman, a good way to look at the testing that you do yourself. And again, this is the unofficial testing that you can sample yourself. You do not have to have a licensed sampler. That's for the official test within 30 days of your harvest. And you may, you might have an instance where you said, okay, we, we collected, I had a sampler collect, sent off to my lab of choice, and we said, uh, oh, it's actually, it was only one, it was only 0.16. All right, scrap that. We'll do another official sample in 10 days and see where we're at, uh, at 0.16. So they're, they're probably okay in another week to 10 days. And so that's where if you have an official sample that comes back and it's, it's relatively low, then you can set that aside and redo an official test so that you can get a longer harvest window. And, and, you know, back to, to what you were talking about with seeds and the, the different daylight interval and how sensitive this plant is. And, you know, this isn't a direct correlation, but I know in, in raising livestock, sheep and goats, the, the statement was you can always take them up north and they'll fatten up, but you can't take northern <laughs> animals and bring them south just because there's not as much food. Um, and, you know, with this, it's certainly light. I have been really encouraged to see some of the production in the Rio Grande Valley um, mm-hmm. Source from different Australian varieties of seeds yes. that were growing as tall as twenty three feet. Yeah, that's you know, there, there is some really encouraging variety trials that have been going, and you know, in Texas, it's one of the fastest growing states in the United States, and has a huge shortage of available homes. There is a growing interest around hempcrete, hemp bat insulation, a lot more health conscious yeah. folks, particularly here in Austin. And and you know, probably the best example of that is is a company called Hempitecture. Um, that has a number of projects going on in Austin right now, and you know, building homes that are comparable to uh-huh. your your um, high you know high end masonry build outs with better hyperallergenic um, insulation materials. I, I think there's a great potential there, and and in light of all of the the hurricanes and environmental issues that you see in the in the Gulf Coast area, you know, having more resilient homes, I think, is becoming more and more attractive to the market. So I'm, I'm hoping to see that that industry progresses. Let me jump in here real quick. I want to introduce our other uh, co-host this week is Jack Finkel of uh, the Foundation for Informed Texas. She had a question for 
uh, Calvin as well and wanted to bring up something she had for about seeds. But welcome to the Texas Hemp Show, Jax. You've been patient. We're bringing you in here, girl. Thank you for... I've been eavesdropping in the background, coming up with more questions. Great to be with you guys. Great to see you, Dr. Trossel and Jesse and everybody in the studio. I wish I could be with you all, but thank you for letting me come in from my home and zoom in. Um, I do have questions about seeds, and I also have another question I'd like to follow up on. But first, starting with seeds, you know, you've talked a lot about varietals and the different needs, you know, for the zones that are within not only Texas, but across the country. And I was wondering, can you give us an update on the seed verification process and certification process? So I know that there's a list of seeds out there, but how far away are we from having certified seeds where you can um, potentially get insurance against them. Okay, so there, there's a couple of things here and I'll, I'll follow up with Coleman's comment. Yes, we saw some, some amazing growth with some fiber varieties in South Texas. Uh, one variety in particular that's gotten a lot of attention as it moves north, we have not seen the type of growth that we've seen in South Texas. And so this, this is another research uh, potential. The other thing there in Jackson, I, I, wanna, I wanna get this in here. We have some other varieties that are being grown in Texas that grow normally, but they're from China. And in China, those fiber varieties, low THC is not a, is not a regulatory issue. And so we, we've had some plants here in Texas that uh, they grow normally, they've grown well, the germination was good. Uh, and that's an issue with a lot of planting seed is getting good germination to get off to a good start. And I think that will get better over time. But some of these plants, uh, and Coleman, I think you, you'd be fascinated by this. The, the Chinese varieties, Jin Ma last year, Yu Ma this year, completely in the vegetative stage, no reproductive growth, male or female, and they are testing hot for THC. And so that's, that's something we'll need to watch closely. Uh, I think it probably means those varieties are not viable in Texas, uh, maybe somebody will work with those to, to see if they can get that down. It would be a breeding job. But Jack, so your question with the, the certification, there are a few states that do have uh, an approved list uh, for hemp varieties that can be planted that is much, much smaller than what we have here in Texas. Uh, maybe a little more stringent, the type of data that needs to be provided in order to be approved. And so the difference there is, is maybe a more stringent approval process for something that is actually certified through a state's Department of Agriculture. And so certification, uh, you know, the, the crop that a lot of Texas, uh, you know, longtime Texas farmers, the one crop that probably we talk about certified varieties more than anything else is wheat, certified TAM 115, certified uh, CP 4762, certified winter hawk. Uh, and that, that's a level that offers a producer an assurance on several counts, genetic purity, free from weed seed and contaminants, disease-free seed, uh, seed that is, well, genetic purity, seed that's true to form. That is, you plant winter hawk, you get winter hawk. You plant the seed from that winter hawk next year, and you still get winter hawk. Uh, and so that's what we hope to see to come to Texas. There is a process uh, within Texas Department of Agriculture. There's at least one variety that I know of that is in a seed increase that is supervised by a small unit of Texas A&M AgriLife Research. Uh, that unit is the Texas 
Foundation Seed Service. That variety has been through a seed increase uh, under uh, TFSS uh, control uh, near Vernon. And so it looks like that variety, it's a fiber variety that's probably on track to be the first TDA certified fiber variety here in Texas. But it will take some time for that, that company to get to the point where they have enough seed uh, that will begin to make a difference for farmers. We've gotten enough, just enough to start testing it and certainly it appears to be viable going forward. Uh, there, there's, you know, certainly a, an individual in Texas can purchase certified seed from another state. Uh, that would just be an example of another means to maybe be a little bit more certain about the genetics that they're getting and we will see a lot of improvements in genetics in the next few years to come stay right there our guest calvin trossel with the texas a&m ag life and we will be right back i've got a room full of co-hosts this week on the texas hemp show so everybody stay right there jesse coleman and Jax. y'all stay put we'll be back it's the texas hemp show you're listening to podcast number 58 we'll be right back on the other side of this break Medical marijuana is legal in Texas. Do you suffer from cancer, PTSD, IBS, peripheral neuropathy, autism, epilepsy, seizure disorders, osteoarthritis, or fibromyalgia? Well, medical marijuana is now legal in Texas as of September of 2021. Visit TexasMedicalMarijuanaDoctors.com. Call 713-659-HEMP. That's 713-659-HEMP. And tell them you heard from the Texas Hemp Show. Visit our friends online at TexasMedicalMarijuanaDoctors.com. The Texas Hemp Reporter is available free at all HEBs and Whole Foods in Austin, Texas. Pick up a copy today. Cannabis is slowly becoming legal in Texas. So be sure to listen to the Texas Hemp Show Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. on KLBJ 590 a.m. Or visit online at TexasHempReporter.com. Mail to over 2,000 licensed hemp producers in Texas. News, technology, trends, finance, culture, health, all things hemp in the Lone Star State. 60,000 copies made available each year. Available at over 500 CBD and smoke shops in Texas. That's the Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine and the Texas Hemp Show Podcast. Download wherever podcasts are available or listen Sundays at 6 a.m. On News Radio 590 KLBJ. Hey, this is Cheech Marine, and you're listening to the Texas Hemp Show. Why take a chance with your hemp grow? Join Hemp Plan and avoid the risk. TPS Labs' exclusive hemp monitoring program. Hemp Plan members get one-on-one -on -one consulting from knowledgeable consultants who are available when you need them most. If you want to take the guesswork out of growing hemp and focus on what matters most, call TPS Lab today and ask for your free consultation. Take the next step to a successful harvest. Visit tpslab.com or call today at 956-383-0739. 
You're listening to the Texas Hip Show, sponsored by The Loot. The Loot, helping vape and smoke shops deliver the most innovative products to customers. Constantly creating new products that people love. E-liquid, salts, CBD topicals, tincture flour, edibles, and Delta 8. Your customers will be shouting, give me The Loot. The Loot, creating high margin products for vape and smoke shop. Contact us today at thelootjuice.com for all your vape, CBD, and Delta 8 needs. Mention Texas Hemp Reporter for 10% off. Give me The Loot. Hemp Sack Bags, preservation, protection, peace of mind. Hemp Sack Bags are designed for the curing, storing, and transporting of hemp and other agricultural products. Hemp Sack Bags are primarily for farmers, growers, and anyone else looking for the proper preservation and storage solution of their hemp or similar agricultural product. Visit the online store at hempsack.com or call 1-833-GOT-BAGS. Made in the USA and manufactured from FDA-approved food-grade materials, hemp sack bags do not leach into your flour. Harvest season is here. Texas Hemp Show listeners, use code THR2021 and get 10% off your whole order. That's hempsack.com. You're listening to The Texas Hemp Show, produced by your friends at The Texas Hemp Reporter. 60,000 copies published free every year. The Texas Hemp Reporter is mailed to over 2,000 licensed hemp producers in Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas. News, technology, trends, finance, culture, health, all things hemp in the Lone Star State. The Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine. Hey, this is Tommy Chong, and you're listening to the Texas Hemp Show. Now, back to the show with your host, Russell Dowden. All right, welcome back to the Texas Hemp Show. This is podcast number 58 of the Texas Hemp Show. Russell Dowden here with the Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine. And joining me this week on the program, Cal- Calvin Trossel with the Texas A&M Ag Life. And uh, co-hosting in the room this week is Coleman Hemphill with the Texas Hemp Industries Association. Also, our good friend Jack Finkel is chimed in here with uh, uh, Texas Normal. And then also Jesse Williams. Uh, and Jesse, who's been quiet for some time, I think we might get to him and see if he has a question. Uh, but Jesse with the Texas Cannabis Collective also here on the Texas Hemp Show. Thank you, everyone, for being a part of this. We've got um, a short segment here. Um, this will be about a five-minute segment, and then we'll have to wrap up, guys. But uh, Jesse, did you have anything for, for, for Calvin Trussell? figure the whole Canada issues because they deal with primarily six months straight sunlight and then six months of dark. And that's why they pretty much the plant got into one, one night here. It was like, Oh, it's time to flower. Yes. Yeah. Well, th- those are certainly issues that, that are, are true there. I, I was in Minnesota for part of my training and I remember the beauty of the evenings in late June, early July, it still blew off in the Northwest sky, like 1030 at night. And it just gives you an idea of how, how long those days are. And European varieties, uh, you know, central Poland, for example, we mentioned the, the B-Lab variety. Uh, if you would bring the latitude there in Poland over to the U.S., then that would have that growing region in Poland for that well-accepted fiber variety there. That, that in, the, in North America, that would place uh, the location about 200 miles north of the U.S.-Canadian border. Uh, it's up there a long ways, but uh, 
<clears throat> I think with the fiber, uh, you know, some other activity, well, there's a lot of state university programs that have started some breeding programs for hemp. Uh, we, we need those. Uh, I'm, my concern is that they may not have enough funding to really make a lot of progress, uh, partly because, you know, on the cannabinoid, cannabinoid side, you know, within Texas A&M AgriLife, we saw some of the, the potential interest, strong interest in funding research and so forth is evaporated as the prices for CBD dried biomass went down. Yeah. You know, I have a question actually about, um, you know, the cost and, and the revenue and getting these things funded. I saw actually that the California Fish and Wildlife Department recently opened up a workshop so that people can start applying for grants that have to do with um, environmental cleanup or restoration and mm -hmm. that aspect of the plant and that they use the cannabis tax revenue to pay for these grants. Um, so. I know we're not there in Texas yet on that, yeah. but is there any research that A&M or that you know of is being done on that type of environmental restoration? There, there are reports in the literature over an extended period of time, not necessarily here in the U.S., where they have evaluated the potential for hemp in a cleanup type situation, maybe the uptake, for example, of heavy metals. That's not your music. That's things like lead or cadmium or mercury that can accumulate maybe from a, a waste site or something. And if you have something that can take up some of those, put it into leaves and stems, then you can remove it. Uh, uh, and certainly hemp has been looked at that. Uh, one of the questions I have is what is the ability of hemp to grow under salty conditions? I don't think that it's exceptional by any means, but you know, with an oil and gas industry in Texas and we occasionally we have spills, they're loaded with salt. Uh, you know, is hemp another means to maybe do a cleanup? Uh, there's other things that, I, you know, you could grow barley or Bermuda grass. That, those would help clean up a salty site because they grow under salty conditions. But the drawback that we might face, Jax, could be is that if you're using hemp in a reclamation site, it would have to be exceptional because otherwise it's a regulated crop. You'd have to have licenses and permits and all those kinds of things. And that might be a layer of of uh, that you'd have to tend to address that may not uh, that would detract a little bit from the potential for him to be a, a cleanup remediation type uh, crop. You know, to, to this point, I know that there was quite a bit of excitement at the national level and here in Texas around using hemp as a high carbon capture crop. And I know that the USDA has been making movements under this administration related to, to carbon sequestration, carbon capture, and then also carbon avoidance. How can we use hemp in lieu of different plastics or as a, a supplement to all of these other products that are out there? And, you know, right now, the largest person paying those carbon credits or carbon offsets is the oil and gas industry, which uh -huh. is very pronounced in the state. And, you know, that could be a real potential minimal viable product. Um, so, again, you know, I think the industry is still trying to figure out where that breakout is going to be. Um, I think we all recognize that we need some clarification from the government, some more government support, some more research dollars um, to, to groups like Texas A&M AgriLife, I think, would, would certainly go a long way. Um, when we were talking about seeds earlier, and Jax, your question, you know, one of the things that I was somewhat discouraged by with our TDA program was the process by which people were able to register seeds with the state. 
and, and my biggest encouragement to people, and, and Dr. Trussell, please expand upon this, is people that are sourcing seeds need to be sourcing them from licensed seed breeders. Uh, I know states like Colorado, Oregon have separate licensing with a bit more stringent reporting around the, the feminization, the germination, the attributes of those plants, and it's not, it's not coming from a hemp farmer who produced seeds accidentally, but it's from these varieties. Yeah. I mean, just being yeah. really careful and making sure that you've got accurate data so you have some baselines to know what you're working with. Well, that, that is true. And again, you know, with over 400 and some uh, approved varieties, and there was no screening of, of whether, you know, these were truly varieties or just somebody took a, another variety and called it Trossel 101 and, and registered it with Texas Department of Ag if they had three certificates of analysis that were less than 0.3. I certainly encourage uh, would-be growers to uh, be very cautious about the seed and established seed companies are certainly the better way to go. And I'll use cherry wine, for example. There are a lot of people that sell cherry wine. There is one company that developed cherry wine. And if I recall, I believe... HGH seeds? HGH, that's the one I was thinking of, a high-grade hemp. And, you know, they're the developers of cherry wine. If you've had cherry wine and you like cherry wine, you might have to pay a little bit more if you get it from HGH. But that would probably be a reasonable thing to do. You would have much more certainty. You would have certainty, period, that what you're getting, what you paid for. And, and there uh, and there are processes in place kind of following that IOSCA model for getting seed certified. It takes time. I think it's yes. a, a minimum of three years, and it it requires a certain level of quarantine away from any other varietals, uh -huh. ideally with some controls. And so, you know, I, I encourage, again, people to, to go to the Texas A&M AgriLife website, uh, Texas Soil and Crop Science. Dr. Baltensberger, I believe, is the chair of yes. that of that IOSCA or has that IOSCA seat. And then that's also done in collaboration with the Texas Department of Agriculture that has processes to register your seed in the state, begin conducting those trials. And, and that's really one of the biggest things we need is that investment. Um, yeah. one, one more question I had for you, Dr. Trossel. Um, you know, I know that groups like the, the Hemp Feed Coalition um, and, and other national groups are also really pressing on, on AFCO, the the agricultural feed regulators to to begin doing more research on on hemp grains used for for poultry for cow calf mm -hmm. operations for different animals can you talk a little bit about what kind of impact that would have since you can plant those varieties with the same equipment harvest with the same equipment the scalability of those kind of crops and and what we could be looking at in acreage once those regulations open up well, that, this is another good question, Coleman. I, I know there's, I've probably heard of at least a dozen different groups around the U.S. that have started some research project. There's one at Texas A&M that I believe is looking at, uh, if you have hemp grain, the two most common uses would be to crush it for hemp seed oil, not CBD oil, but just oils from seed like cotton seed or sunflower or olive oil. Uh, then the other would be the hemp hearts. So you have material that's left over uh, in the sunflower world. Uh, sunflower has the same type of seed that hemp does. It, they call it an akeen or an asheen. And so it's a hull and the meat inside that shell for sunflower, for hemp, is the actual seed. 
And so after they crush the seed oil out, you have this mash that's left over. Protein content's pretty good. In sunflower, it's about 31%. That's very viable for a feed. Uh, so the A&M project is looking at using that, that leftover meal uh, in a feeding operation. Uh, those feeding is not necessarily about giving animals, at least livestock, CBD, but it could be in a poultry situation. Uh, there's just a, a myriad of potential uh, opportunities out there. What it will come down to in the long run is what is the cost effectiveness uh, of the different types of feedstuffs that an individual can use uh, in cattle feeding. Yeah, you know, well, so, you know, hemp grain can be anywhere from 22 to 35 percent protein. I know that there's a lot of interest, too, around the elevated omega fatty acid levels mm-hmm. and the, yes. the proportion of those omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids, which are similar and, and some could argue superior to, to flax as being really another mm-hmm. comparable grain. I, I know that that's something that I'm really passionate about personally, and, and it's something that we were very close to getting passed into the Texas legislature uh, to allow this for commercial feed for, for non-human yeah. consuming animals, but as a great starting point. You know, yeah. I, I think a lot of people lose sight of, of the fact that the feeding animals is a much larger market than, than humans, <laughs> and, and I yeah. think there's going to be great opportunities for the CBD industry as well and veterinary medicine. I hope that that progresses, and and hopefully we can see some more clarity from the FDA that opens up, you know, appropriate dosage or use of CBD with companies like Coca-Cola and Budweiser and, and Coors. Sure. And companies have invested, at this point, billions of dollars into the space. Um, and, you know, we hope that they continue to follow those investments and, and we start to, to reap the benefits here with our Texas farmers and, and our Texas economy. Guys, I've got to wrap up uh, this show for the moment here as we uh, end this next segment. Dr. Uh, Trossel, thank you for being a part of the Texas Hemp Show. Is there a website you want to fire off, a newsletter, anything that you would like our listeners to know or or, or find more information about the good work you do, sir? A couple of things. Uh, Just search on the web for Texas A&M AgriLife Hemp. Uh, I will be able to get a bunch of newer materials updated this fall. Uh, my email, ctrossel at ag.tamu.edu. That's a good way to contact me uh, or through the Lubbock Center. And, and I'm always happy to get people added to our newsletter list and for the updates for our first Tuesday of the month hemp update that we have on Zoom. Excellent. Dr. Trossel, I'll be teaching class and College Station on the 11th, so here in a couple weeks. So if <laughs> you're down turns. there, I would love to, love to see you. I will be teaching by Zoom next Tuesday on, I believe, the 26th. Awesome. Nice. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> That's by Zoom. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Trostel, for, for being a part of this show. We'll be back on the other side with another segment here with, uh, with Jax. But uh, stay, stay put, Jax and Jesse. But, Calvin, thanks a lot for being a part of the program. We appreciate you, sir. Thank Great you, Russell. Thank you. It. You bet. Thank you. We'll be back on the other side, guys. It's the Texas Hymn Show, podcast number 58. We'll be back after this. Medical marijuana is legal in Texas. Do you suffer from cancer, PTSD, 
IBS, peripheral neuropathy, autism, epilepsy, seizure disorders, osteoarthritis, or fibromyalgia. Well, medical marijuana is now legal in Texas as of September of 2021. Visit TexasMedicalMarijuanaDoctors.com. Call 713-659-HEMP. That's 713-659-HEMP. And tell them you heard from the Texas Hemp Show. Visit our friends online at TexasMedicalMarijuanaDoctors.com. The Texas Hemp Reporter is available free at all HEBs and Whole Foods in Austin, Texas. Pick up a copy today. Cannabis is slowly becoming legal in Texas. So be sure to listen to the Texas Hemp Show Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. on KLBJ 590 a.m. Or visit online at TexasHempReporter.com. Mail to over 2,000 licensed hemp producers in Texas. News, technology, trends, finance, culture, health, all things hemp in the Lone Star State. 60,000 copies made available each year. Available at over 500 CBD and smoke shops in Texas. That's the Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine and the Texas Hemp Show Podcast. Download wherever podcasts are available or listen Sundays at 6 a.m. on News Radio 590 KLBJ. Hey, this is Cheech Marin, and you're listening to the Texas Hemp Show. Why take a chance with your hemp grow? Join Hemp Plan and avoid the risk. TPS Labs exclusive hemp monitoring program. Hemp Plan members get one-on-one consulting from knowledgeable consultants who are available when you need them most. If you want to take the guesswork out of growing hemp and focus on what matters most, call TPS Lab today and ask for your free consultation. Take the next step to a successful harvest. Visit tpslab.com or call today at 956-383-0739. You're listening to the Texas Hip Show, sponsored by The Loot. The Loot, helping vape and smoke shops deliver the most innovative products to customers. Constantly creating new products that people love. E-liquid, salts, CBD topicals, tincture flour, edibles, and Delta 8. Your customers will be shouting, give me The Loot. The Loot, creating high-margin products for vape and smoke shops. Contact us today at thelootjuice.com for all your vape, CBD, and Delta 8 needs. Mention Texas Hemp Reporter for 10% off. Give me The Loot. Hemp Sack Bags, preservation, protection, peace of mind. Hemp Sack Bags are designed for the curing, storing, and transporting of hemp and other agricultural products. Hemp Sack Bags are primarily for farmers, growers, and anyone else looking for the proper preservation and storage solution of their hemp or similar agricultural product. Visit the online store at hempsack.com or call 1-833-GOT-BAGS. Made in the USA and manufactured from FDA-approved food-grade materials, hemp sack bags do not leach into your flour. Harvest season is here. Texas Hemp Show listeners, use code THR2021 and get 10% off your whole order. That's hempsack.com. You're listening to the Texas Hemp Show, produced by your friends at the Texas Hemp Reporter. 60,000 copies published free every year. The Texas Hemp Reporter is mailed to over 2,000 licensed hemp producers in Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas. News, technology, trends, finance, culture, health, all things hemp in the Lone Star State. The Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine. Hey, this is Tommy Chong, and you're listening to the Texas Hemp Show. Now, back to the show with your host, Russell Dowden. 
cowboy boots, jeans, and a lawyer's shirt. Mirror, sunglasses, and a mobile phone. I guess I look like some Porter Ansis dope dealers out on bail just trying to get home. But I ain't in jail, and I got me a guitar. All right, welcome back to the Texas Hip Show. This is podcast number 58. I'm Russell Dowden with the Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine and the Texas Hip Show. Joining me on the program is Coleman Hemphill. We've got Jack Sfinkel and Jesse Williams all tuning in on this star-studded Hollywood Squares episode of the Texas <laughs> Hemp Show. So thanks to everybody. Everyone was like, Dr. Trossel, yes, we would love to join you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really great. This is pretty cool. I We're, we're uh, pushing the envelope with some of the things we've been doing because this we, we've, we had, you know, last week Jesse was in studio. The week before you were in studio, Coleman. Um, but now we're, you know, we're starting to experience, experiment a little more, Jax, with the, 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 the online rooms and, and the, getting the, uh, the callers mixed and integrated in. So I think this was a first for us to have five microphones going at one show. Yeah, hopefully this is a little precursor to, uh, to GCN. You know, yeah. I know uh, we're, we're definitely pursuing some, some other... Some other outlets and getting the message about what's going on in Texas and, and hopefully bringing on some more people at the, the national level as well to to expand everyone's knowledge and and all the good information on what's going on. Well, let's talk about some information. Jax is speaking at the Texas Hemp Harvest Festival this weekend. That's one of yeah. our big our big things that's going on here in, in Central Texas this weekend is the uh, Sweet Cincy event. And I understand you are speaking there, Jax. So I a- am. I am. You know, myself, Lisa Pittman, and Commissioner Miller will all be speaking at the event. Um, the Sweet Cincy team was very generous in selecting us as one of their nonprofits that will split the raffle prize um, that they are offering to everybody um, when you come in. So whenever you come to the event and you come inside, make sure you grab your raffle ticket because that will benefit Texas Normal. I'll be on the amphitheater stage at 245, you know, tooting the Texas Normal horn, talking about what's going on, how you can get um, engaged in what part of the cycle we're in. Uh, But there's also going to be amazing music. if you're in the Austin area, you know about Flamingo Cantina, and Angela and her team worked together with Sweet Sensi to put together a really excellent lineup. Um, there's going to be vendors and food trucks, and um, it's outdoors, uh, so make sure you check out their website and get your tickets. I know Jesse will be there. I'll be there. Oh, yeah. Are I'll you be, be there, Russell? Oh, yeah. I've got a... What about you, Coleman? I've got oh, a, oh, yeah. No, yeah. we'll all be there. So that's October Reunion 23rd. Party. From, yeah, from from 10 a.m. to 11 p.m. Tickets will be from 40 to 120 dollars for VIP tickets. There's a great write-up in the new magazine. It's on page 54, um, talking about the very first annual Texas Hemp Harvest Festival. Well, last week we had Kaimani Marley on the program, which was a pre-recorded interview that I'd done a few weeks back. But we went ahead and aired that when Greg came on. So I don't know if you'd heard that one, Jax. But, yeah, we are excited to uh, hear Kaimani Marley. We had him on the cover of the current issue of the Texas Hemp Reporter. But uh, other artists like Gary P. Nunn are going to be performing. Cass Haley, the supervillains, uh, Mo uh, and his band will be performing, Jax. They are a lot of fun. <laughs> They yeah. sure are a lot of fun, but um, 
you know, so there's a, a hemp competition, uh, a lot of stuff going on out there. And Carson Creek Ranch, uh, pre-sale tickets are are cheaper if you order them online in Eventbrite now than if you just show up at the door right. on Friday. Uh, uh, that's what uh, Greg told us last week on the program. So um, that that's going to be pretty cool. Um, and their permit was um, approved by the city based on some precautions that they agreed to take uh, relating to COVID. So just everybody make sure that you check that out so that you know that when you show up at the gate, you can enter the gate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got to go and do a test uh, just to get myself, uh, make sure that I've got that up to date for all my travel stuff for not only this event, but uh, but anything I'm trying to do this weekend as well. Um, does anybody know anybody that, uh, I know Shada Tarabi and I talked this morning. She was at uh, BizCon. Uh, so a lot of our Texans are out there in MJ BizCon. You have any friends or uh, know of any colleagues out there, Jax, in, in Las Vegas oh, this I week? Oh, I mean, like, every normal chapter but me is probably. <laughs> oh, <like>. really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, looking at pictures like, mm-hmm, y'all have a lot of fun. <laughs> we sent we sent a writer out with a press pass, one of our writers, Josh Kasoff. Nice. He's, oh, yeah. uh, he lives out in, in that area, so I got him a press pass and was like, go, find a day and go. Have fun. <laughs> Good. Well, that's obviously the big uh, MJ BizCon going on here this week and weekend there in Las Vegas. So uh, that's going on. But other an event after that, there is a Hemp Crete uh, event October 29th in yeah, Austin. It's a- uh, the, the Hemp Builders Summit. That's yeah. going to be hosted at the Austin Library. It will right. also be a virtual event. Um, I can't remember the exact date. I, th- on I think that. it's the 29th, Jesse, if uh, uh, he and I were talking about that. But I don't know if any if you guys had, had become aware of that. But I believe it's at the Austin Public Library on October 29th, next Thursday. Yeah, that's, that's which is like actually a really amazing venue. You think like oh, public library, but if y'all have been to that public library, it's like oh, public library. Yeah, the, <laughs> well, Austin Public Library is pretty cool. Public library, yeah. it really is. The, it's like the, a part. It's like a club in there with with music. Well, and <laughs> that like, that really you know based upon the talent of people that will be speaking at that really is a national kind of event. Um, I know uh, that Maddie there with with Hempitecture will be speaking. Um, Henry Viaz, um, our, our local hempcrete hero, um, will be speaking. It's it's gonna be great. Jake Waddell and the U.S. Hemp Builders Association, excellent organization, doing some great things with ASTM and putting standards in place. Um, so yeah, definitely come out to that. There's gonna be a lot of really good information and a lot of really tangible things to to get up to date on here in in, in Austin. There's a lot of really fun projects happening. Well, there really is, and I'm excited about getting together with all of you guys this weekend at the uh, Texas Hemp Harvest Festival. That's, again, at Carson um, Creek Ranch in uh, East Austin, out there by the airport. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. Thank you all for being a part of this podcast, number 58 this week. Jax, thank you. We will see you Saturday, girl. Yes, I'll see y'all there. Lots of reggae, Kaimani Marnie, looking at Cass Haley, uh, the Mau Mau Chaplains, the Derailers, Big Mon, uh, Armadillo Road, Soul Fire is a great band. I've interviewed them before, actually, in Rockstar Magazine. Lots of good stuff out there. Check that out. If you want to learn more, we pick out uh, your tickets at eventbrite.com. Jesse, thank you for your contribution here to the show, as well as you, Komen, and, and our thanks to Professor Calvin Trossel there at the A&M Ag Life Program. Very honored to have him on the show. Uh, very good show, guys. Good stuff. Podcast 58. We'll, uh, we'll see you next week. That's a wrap. Y'all have a good one. Thanks. Adios. See you next Adios. week. Bye-bye.
Search the whole afternoon. 